bow our heads for prayer. Dear Father, we bow before you this morning. Thank you again for blessing us with this opportunity to gather to worship your name. I just pray this morning you'd be with John as he shares the words you've laid upon his heart. I just pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word and through what John speaks to us this morning. Just pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning to everyone again. It's good to be here. The privilege of being able to gather once again. I've been encouraged already with the devotional and Sunday school and we've heard there. Today I want to talk about being part of God's family. And I apologize that the title got missed in the bulletin. But we'll talk about being part of God's family today. Now all of us were born into an earthly family. Um, We didn't have much choice in the matter. We had no choice who our parents were. We had no choice who our siblings are or how many of them there are. We had no choice whether we were the youngest, whether we were the oldest, or where we came in between. We had no choice when in history we were born. If we were born into a rich family, into a poor family, Um, We had no choice if our parents or our siblings loved us or not. We had no choice if our parents loved each other. We had no choice if our parents were Christians or not. We had no choice if our parents' lives were good examples for us to follow or not. We stop and think about it. We had very little choice, very little if any choice, about anything in our families. For the first number of years in our lives, we pretty much ended up there and got what we got. Now, all of this kind of affects the mental picture we get when we hear the word uh, family. Um, Dad mentioned to me the other day that their siblings get together every, his siblings get together every couple years, and they want to come up here this summer. And so when I think of aunts and uncles who I haven't seen for a number of years, that brings a mental picture. And for me, thankfully, it's good. Um, But for some of us, you know, that that picture is is different. Um, I hope it's a happy picture for most of us, but for some of us, um, that picture is possibly not so happy. Some people have even chosen to distance themselves from their family because there's been past hurts and past pains they've experienced and they for various reasons just simply chosen to um, distance themselves to a certain extent from their biological family so when God invites us to become part of his family each of us reacts to that at least in part when we hear the word family according to how we've experienced um, our earthly family so does the word family bring a picture of comfort of security Does it bring instead of a picture of hurt, disappointment? Are we proud of our family? Um, I'm a Bontrager. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not necessarily proud of it or ashamed of it. Um, It is what it is. I'm not a, I don't know, a Rockefeller or someone, you know, big name that um, is supposed to be somebody. Um, Are we we ashamed of our family name or who we're associated with? And I ask these questions because we need to recognize that our view of God's family, we talk about being, being part of God's family, being part of a church family. Um, our desire to be part of a family will 
at least depend somewhat on our experience has what our experience has been in the past of being part of an earthly family. So a few basic things. Uh, what does a family consist of? Um, number one is parents. It's sort of hard to have a family without parents. Um, someone who, of course, starts the family biologically, but also who provides love, security, uh, direction, discipline, leadership, authority. Uh, children are necessary in a family, at least one. To move from a couple to a family, there needs to be at least one child. And if there's more than one child, then you have siblings, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, someone to play with, to fight with, to learn from, um, to you fight the one day and then the next day you, you stand up beside them against someone who would, who would want to hurt them. Uh, someone often who understands, who shares our interests. Um, we're very, usually very close to our siblings. We, we still understand them probably better than um, other people. God designed the family as a safe place to be born, raised, taught, and prepared to face the world on our own as we get older. And we see this even among the animal kingdom. Um, we've had the privilege over the years of watching the deer. Uh, they have their little babies. They had um, twins one year. The next year we watched the twins, and we saw them for a couple years. Then they moved on. And then we're pretty sure that one of them had twins of her own again. And it's just kind of neat to watch that. Um, so that's how, obviously, their, their time uh, frame's a little quicker than ours. But as the generations moved on there. So God designed his spiritual family in much the same way. But there are some differences. Uh, God is a father, but not everyone is automatically his child. Uh, sin separates us from God. God desires us to be his children, but we're not automatically that. And unlike our earthly family, we do have a choice if we want to become one of God's children. As I said, the invitation is open to all. God wants everyone to be his child, but not everyone chooses to accept that. So I have uh, some scriptures here. Um, feel free to follow along if you choose to. If not, just listen. Uh, the first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord or harmony hath Christ with Satan? And what part hath he that believeth with an unbeliever? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For if ye are the temple of living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So here we see that God is calling us to step away from our life of sin, our past life, uh, separate ourselves unto him, and he then in turn will receive us and will become our father and we will become his sons and daughters. And we're seeing here an invitation that God is giving us to become part of his family. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of, I'm sorry, spirit of bondage, 
but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. So if we choose to become, to follow God, we then become his sons and daughters. This is not something that we're forced to, um, we're not in bondage, but it is an adoption. Now we're familiar with adoption here. Um, there's been a few right here. Um, we just heard recently again that I think Steve and Ruth Ann um, had a successful adoption, if I'm not mistaken there. So um, that is something that is a, a child that was not part of their family is now officially part of their family. And that is what it's describing here. And as becoming a child then, uh, he uses the term Abba Father. Now, Abba is kind of a, a term that might be more translated as daddy. Uh, father might be more of a, um, a respectful term. Uh, daddy is a very refect, uh, affectionate term, a term of closeness. And then he goes on to say that as children, then we become heirs, heirs in God's family. Now, we know an heir uh, has a full right to an inheritance. Um, he has all the rights, responsibilities of a biological child, and so by adoption, um, essentially a child becomes just like any other child, and so all of God's children, I guess we would say, would be by adoption, and they are all uh, become heirs to him as well. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Then came his brethren and his mother, it's talking about Jesus here, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without or outside seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or who is my brethren? And he looked around about them which sat around him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever should do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. So I'm not sure what the exact setting here, I didn't do a lot of research on the setting here, but um, he was teaching a group of people, Jesus was, and they said, Hey, um, your mother and brothers are outside, they want to talk to you. And he took this opportunity to simply almost look like he's, re- like he's rejecting his earthly family. But in reality, he's saying, um, you guys are also my family. Um, anyone who accepts Jesus, anyone does the will of God, then becomes family. And he's saying um, God's family extends beyond just the biological family, and it includes all of God's children. Um, and then along with that, we also become brothers and sisters to others. Um, when we become God's children as well. So we, we, we gain that same connection with other believers as we would have with our own um, biological siblings. I want to look a little bit at the different stages of growth that a child of God grows, uh, goes through. Now, if you look at a child, uh, the first step is obviously birth, um, rebirth in the spiritual sense here. Um, we say born again. And... We turn to, uh, sorry, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, the the first seven verses here, 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. So here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Um, he had some questions. Word was most likely getting around about this, this new guy. And Nicodemus wanted to come and hear for himself exactly what Jesus had to offer. And he wisely uh, chose to come to Jesus himself versus just trying to figure it out on hearsay, the word on the street. He did come at night um, so as not to be seen. He wasn't quite ready at that point to risk his reputation by showing up during the daytime. Um, but he was willing to come and meet with Jesus on a personal, a personal level there. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, he was a wise man. Uh, one with a good knowledge of the scriptures. Now, most Pharisees of that day were very jealous of Jesus and the way that Jesus had the, the love of the people. The people followed him, and most of the Pharisees did not have quite that amount of attention from the people, most because they were kind of corrupt in how they did things. Um, but Nicodemus was truly seeking answers here. And when he met Jesus in verse 2, he addresses him as rabbi. Now, rabbi was, was a very um, respectful term for a teacher. And by Nicodemus' standard, he was probably more of a rabbi in one sense than what Jesus was. And so when he addresses Jesus as rabbi, he could either be maybe a little sarcastic or probably more likely respecting Jesus for who he had heard him to actually be. And Jesus knew his heart, knew he must be sincere. But when Nicodemus asked him, well, how could I be part of this? He gave an answer that was confusing to Nicodemus. I think Nicodemus was hoping for a long spiritual answer, but Jesus' answer was very simple. Um, you must be born again. And we can see by Nicodemus' response that that um, wasn't quite what he was expecting. And he asked, you know, is this a, do I literally have to be born again? I mean, how do I do that? Um, you know, he had no idea. Um, now, obviously, he was, uh, Nicodemus was a very a wise man. He probably had a few letters behind his name. Um, he was a man of great importance. And Jesus said, you know, that doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. We think of the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus as well, seeking eternal life. And he wanted to impress Jesus with all his good deeds and that he kept all the law. And Jesus said he still lacks something. Um, we think in the Old Testament, Naaman the leper, uh, being asked to wash in the dirty Jordan River. And at first he left all upset because he said, oh, that's too simple. I need to do something hard, something, something worthy of the great man that I am. And the servant, as we know, challenged Naaman and said, just humble yourself and do what the prophet tells you. And we know that the result was he was healed. I think that was kind of what Jesus had in mind here with his approach to Nicodemus. Um, Forgetting for a minute how important a man he was and simply saying, you need to start back at the beginning. You need to become born again. Um, you need to start back from the first and, and pretty much give up what you've had 
uh, up until that point. When we think of a a newborn child, what does he or she have to offer? Uh, A newborn has really nothing to offer. Um, They really have nothing to their of their own at all, Uh, no clothes, no food, no protection, no strength, no way to care for themselves, no way to provide for even their most basic needs. I think Jesus was telling Nicodemus here, you need to look at yourself back at the starting point um, of being reborn, giving up what you look at as necessary, looking at it as as useless, meaningless, um, as dead in the past, and starting over. If we look at the term of being born, um, there's a couple interesting, I think Jesus used this term because there's some very interesting parallels between being born, reborn in a spiritual sense to being born physically. Um, the first point is very obvious. Uh, everyone is born at the same age. Now, we think that's kind of maybe humorous, um, but everyone starts at zero. Um, You're not born as a 40-year-old. You're not born as a 20-year-old. You're not even born as a 2-year-old. Everyone is born physically at the very same age. Um, Everyone begins life at birth. And for a Christian, that time is the time of conversion, the time when they're born into God's family. Now, we can be reborn at any age physically. Um, Maybe it's very young. Maybe we've been taught the ways of God from very young We've chosen to follow Christ at a very young age. Maybe we're older like Nicodemus, and then that time of rebirth is obviously when we're physically older. But as Christians, we must all start at the new birth. Um, No one can skip the new birth any more than a person can skip being born literally. Um, It's just that simple. No one can skip their physical birth and start life at, say, 20 years old. And so no one can skip their spiritual birth and immediately begin as a mature Christian. There's, there's a process. I think that's very important for us to remember, um, especially if it involves someone who is possibly older when they begin their Christian life. Um, remember that spiritually they are still a young person. Um, just because they start, they, they become a Christian at 40 doesn't necessarily mean they're going to act like a 40-year-old uh, Christian necessarily would. There is a process involved. So a couple things as we look at the comparison between physical and spiritual rebirth or birth. Um, this is true for real babies and also true for newborn Christians. This, this newborn stage is the help me stage, if I can call it that. So as we know, a, a, a baby um, is unable to do really much at all for themselves. They need to be fed, need to be fed very often. They need constant attention. Uh, They don't survive left by themselves for very long. They're helpless. They're defenseless. Uh, They have no sense of danger. And they're very easy to take advantage of. We hear the term, it's like taking candy from a baby. You know, if you're nice to the baby, he'll give you anything he's got. Um, He doesn't understand yet. They have almost no discernment. They need a lot of guidance. And they're not ready for solid food or meat. So that in, in the same way that these... Um, are true for a physical baby. They're also true for a spiritual baby as well. They require milk. First Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes. Peter is saying, picture yourselves as a newborn baby. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So a, a baby takes milk and um, a baby's 
body weight um, increases at a much higher rate than an adult's body weight should, um, hopefully. Um, and so there's that time of growing and that time of, of getting milk, of getting, and then just, just increase greatly. Um, in 2 Timothy 2.15, we read about rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the word dividing here most likely um, is explaining or teaching, but I also think we could possibly take that same word dividing as, you know, how a, a, a mother cuts um, meat or something into very small pieces for her young child so they don't choke on it. I think that same concept can be kind of thought here of dividing God's word into bite-sized pieces. So a new believer is able to understand it. Uh, don't give them a big steak on the first day. But in bite-sized pieces as they're moving away from just milk. I said the first stage is also the time of the most growth. Uh, biggest, most obvious changes happen in this first stage. Uh, very hands-on time. Uh, love, patience, and uh, some long sufferings needed during this time. And if we turn to uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, now, this was just after the, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Uh, Peter had preached a very powerful sermon, and breaking in here at, at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here we see a very um, uncommon situation. Uh, there were 3,000 new people, new converts, if you want to call them, that were added to the church in one day. So obviously, I don't know how many there were in the church before that, if there were... but safe to say it probably doubled or, or more um, their group size in a very, very short time here. So here there were 3,000 new uh, spiritual babies. Uh, imagine if we were to add uh, 65 babies here, literal babies, in one day. Um, it would certainly be a challenge. Um, probably couldn't even hear myself preach up here. But anyway... So here they had 3,000 new people um, saying, feed me, uh, help me, teach me, um, you know, show me the way, uh, tell me what I need to do, and needing a lot of care. And so what did they do here? Now, this is kind of interesting, depending how you look at it. In verse 44, it appears they kind of set up this, this giant spiritual nursery. And I don't know exactly how it looked, but it says they were together a good bit of the time. They even lived together, uh, shared their food, they learned together. And so for a certain amount of time here at least, they simply spent a lot of their time together as a group. Um, and yeah, probably uh, a big nursery, a big spiritual nursery would be the best way to describe that. This was obviously a very unusual situation because of the extremely large amount of new believers. 
I don't believe what's described here is a model of how we should live all the time, having all things in common, but for that time and that place, it's, I believe, what they thought worked best. Um, a way of giving a lot of attention, a lot of a care, a lot of care to these new believers as they were growing there. So a newborn is a fun stage to watch. Uh, we appreciate the growth, but obviously we don't want to stay in that stage forever. Uh, it's only birth. It's not maturity. It's not perfection yet. And we do give a newborn a lot of tolerance in their behavior. Um, we were okay if they cry in church. We don't expect them to. At the same time, we don't expect the 15-year-old to spend a lot of time crying in church. So there is that tolerance that's given um, to a newborn that, and the same way to a new believer as well. Uh, we don't expect them to be perfect. They're part of the family. They are a child of God. They're not instantly uh, an adult Christian, if we can say it yet. So how long a person spends in that newborn, uh, that newborn stage, how fast uh, they mature through that, different for different people. Um, the timing may change, but the sequence continues. They start there and they move on. If we turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, the first four verses. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, that was step one, and become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall humble himself as his little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here we see Jesus' disciples came to Jesus asking, you know, who's going to be the greatest in your future kingdom? They already had their, they kind of were, had their ideals set. They were hoping Jesus would set up an earthly kingdom um, to free them from the Romans, and they wanted to make sure they got their name in to have a good spot in that kingdom. And Jesus said, no, you guys have the wrong idea. And he called a child in and said, you need to become humble as this little child here. You need to give up your selfish ambitions, your pride, and become as this little child. And that is the second stage, uh, childhood. So the first two stages are mentioned here in verse 3, um, rebirth, conversion, and then childhood. And whereas the, the newborn stage is often referred to as the help me stage, childhood is the tell me and teach me stage. And there's no other time of life when a person's mind and heart is more open and teachable than in that childhood stage. And I'm thinking, you know, from 3 to, I don't know, 8 or 9, whatever. Um, my wife is teaching first grade right now, and when you're in first grade, uh, life is exciting. Every day you learn something new, um, and it's just the world, your world just opens wide open. New words, new facts, um, you learn math, um, you learn how to pick up a book, and your, the book actually talks to you now. You can read that book, and it's just a time of, of incredible learning, lots of questions, um, their knowledge increases a lot more in a week than my knowledge does. Uh, my mind is too old to expand quite that rapidly anymore. At that age, it's much easier to learn. A time of curiosity. Uh, there's a willingness, there's an eagerness to learn more, to believe what they are taught. And it's very important during this teach me stage to teach what is true. Because that is the, the, the time when you are building foundations for what their lives will be from there. So at this teach me stage, um, there's, it's very important that there is a solid foundation laid that can be built from there on. 
uh, repetition. Um, it's not all learning new stuff. There's times when we hear the same thing over and over again, and that helps things to, to stick into our mind. Uh, establishing the basics, building foundations. A uh, time when discernment starts to grow. They start putting two and two together and, and learning for themselves how the whole thing works. And spiritually, they move away from just milk and they start eating some solid food as well. And this is, again, a very important stage, cannot be hurried through, but again, uh, not one to stay in forever. No one wants to be in first grade their whole life. The next stage is adolescence, and this is maybe more the show-me stage. Um, show me, prove it to me. Um, I need to establish this for myself. Um, it can be a very opinionated stage. Uh, maybe there's some decisions, some rash decisions made, some, somewhat impulsive. Um, need to learn for yourself that not maybe that idea wasn't the best. Uh, can be a very idealistic stage. And sometimes it's a stage when um, they still want the comfort, security of childhood, but then also want the privileges of adult, without, but sometimes without the responsibility. But this can also be a very encouraging time um, when we see, and here again, back to the physical sense, a teenager uh, learning to make own decisions, uh, learning to what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and being able to take some initiative on their own. And the same way that translates then to the spiritual. Someone is able to um, take something they've learned, take something they've heard, and discern whether it's true or not, discern whether it's, it's God's truth or just simply something man is saying. And at this point, maybe is not only eating meat, but also able to uh, prepare um, a certain amount of their own meals. They're able to have their own devotional life. Um, maybe lead out in a, a short devotional, something like that. It's, it's a step forward and doesn't require somebody else to do all the work for them. And this is a very, I think, critical stage, um, both physically and spiritually. It's a stage that leads to adulthood, but sometimes it's very difficult to make that final step from this stage into adulthood. And a lot of people kind of never make it out of the adolescent stage here. They remain there most of their life. They pull their own load, um, but they don't really help a lot with anyone else's load. They're not a burden, but they're not a lot of help either. They do enough to get by, but that's about it. The final stage then is adulthood, and this is maybe what we call the follow me stage, where we can say, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, be followers of me even as I am of Christ, to where a person has reached um, the level of, of um, that he's able to say with confidence, um, I, I am comfortable if you follow me as well, because I seek to follow Christ, and I want to lead you on as well. A person this stage is willing to be an example to others. He is willing to serve others, to be his brother's keeper. He has stability and balance in his life. Uh, he or she is not, as it says in James 1, verse 6, driven with the wind and tossed. Think of that verse sometimes. Uh, a new idea comes, and they're this way, and they're that way the next day. But there's a stability, there's a direction that they have that guides them um, regardless of, of the wind that blows east or west that day. A person is not easily offended. Um, that shows a, a level of maturity when you're able to take criticism, right or wrong, and it does not easily offend you. There's patience, there's productivity, 
There's a willingness to take responsibility. Um, maybe even an eagerness. I don't know, that's stretching it a little bit. An eagerness to take responsibility, but certainly a willingness. And there's a genuine desire to nurture others as they grow, to help others along as well. They have reliable biblical discernment. They not only eat meat, as we said, but they're also able to prepare meals for others um, in a spiritual sense. And this can come in a lot of ways. It can come a one-on-one. Um, it can come in, in, you know, in front of a group of people. It can come as, as teaching, Sunday school. It can come as a, a number of those things. And they produce the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. We think of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So those fruits are becoming evident in their lives. The challenge I leave today is which stage are you in, which stage are I in, am I in, and probably more important than which stage are you in is are you growing? Um, are you simply stuck in that stage and you kind of like it here because it's comfortable, or are you advancing in the process of, of maturing? And if we're like trees, if we stop growing, we simply die. Uh, a tree, if it's alive, continues to grow. Uh, it, it can't be alive without growing, and our Christian life is, is very similar. Uh, growing is our responsibility. Yes, people are there to help us. Our family is there to help us, but they cannot force us to grow in a spiritual sense. Um, I probably shouldn't say this. Um, sometimes we think we have to force our children to grow in a physical sense, too. Um, just eat. If you don't eat, you won't grow. <laughs> um, so that's that's true. It's true in a physical sense, but it's also true in a, in a spiritual sense, too. Uh, do we have to be forced to eat? Do we have to be forced to grow? Uh, growth takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes patience, both with ourselves, both with others. But let's remember that in God's family, as in a regular family, there's different stages of uh, growth. Uh, some are adults, some are adolescents, some are children, and some are simply newborns. And I think that's how God designed it. And again, when we look around us, we, we tend to look at older people, younger people, and, and group them physically in that way, as, or uh, spiritually, as we see them physically. And that is not always, not always how it is. Um, but within, the, within God's family here, to create a place of security, a place of acceptance, of comfort, of love, a place where we can find forgiveness, encouragement, and a place where we can find our identity as a child of God. With those thoughts, let's stand for prayer. And then remain standing after prayer for the final song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you call us your children. We thank you that through your Son, Jesus, you have made a way that we can become your children. We thank you that you have given us a place in your family. We ask that we would desire to grow up and not just grow older, that we can grow to spiritual adulthood as you would desire for us. And we would have a love for each other and desire to help each other grow close together, closer as a family and closer to you. We ask your guidance and protection in this coming week. We want your light to shine through us so others may see you and desire to know more of you and your family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.